Hey everyone, this is Matt and welcome to another Overflow Pod. We are in the second part of moving from being overwhelmed in life to living an overflowing life. So check out part one if you didn't do that already. And in the last pod, we looked at what the shortage versus surplus mentality to life entails. We also started the four habits of an overflowing life with the first habit of staying connected to Jesus every day, just like a great grafted onto a grapevine. So let's jump right into the second habit, which is to stop complaining and start being grateful. Yeah, I said it. Stop griping, stop grumbling, and start being grateful. Did you know that science has proven that each of these attitudes actually that the Bible talks about are good and bad for your health? Complaining is very unhealthy. Griping is an unhealthy emotion, but gratitude is different. Study after study have shown gratitude is really the healthiest emotion. So you want to be healthy? Learn gratitude. When you're grateful, it changes the chemistry of your brain. Studies have shown that when you're thankful, grateful, it produces serotonin, dopamine, and even oxytocin in your brain. Now, don't confuse it. It's not oxycontin. It's oxytocin, which is a feel-good hormone. Like when a husband and wife make love, it releases oxytocin. When a mother nurses her baby, it releases oxytocin in both the mom and the infant. Studies have shown that if you pet a dog or any pet for 30 minutes, it releases oxytocin in the dog and in you. You want this hormone. You want this chemical in your life. And one of the key things that's produced for peace and for happiness, those chemicals, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin, happen every time you are grateful. An easy way to foster gratitude is before you get out of bed in the morning, before you make do anything. You make a list of things you're grateful for, maybe in your head to God. I'm grateful for air. I'm grateful for this bed. I'm grateful that I woke up. I'm grateful that there isn't a war right now in our country. And you just start with that. and you, It will change the chemistry in your brain. And even if you can't think of anything, just trying to think of things to be grateful for changes your brain chemistry. Just the attitude of trying to be grateful makes a difference. Philippians 2.14 says, in everything you do, Stay away from complaining and arguing. I love that translation because that's the exact opposite of gratitude. Let me ask you, what do you complain about? Second thought, don't tell me. (laughs) Let me ask you about this. When you complain about something, how does it help you? Does it work out pretty good? You complain about the weather. Does it change anything? You complain about the way you look. Does that change? You complain about your spouse or your children, your job, anything. See, complaining is a total waste of time. It's like stewing without doing. It's worthless. You start, stop complaining and start being grateful. Stop grumbling. Stop griping because you're not going to feel better after you do it. You'll feel worse. Colossians 2.7 says, let your lives overflow. There's that word. With thanksgiving for all God has done. And I suggest that you start your day with gratitude for God, what God has done for you and for others. Just go through that. In fact, I read a study recently that if in the morning you get up and the first thing you do, you send an email of gratitude to somebody you love or somebody who's helped you, it lowers your stress throughout the day because it releases those chemicals in your mind and it'll actually lower your stress and you'll start the day with good news, not bad news. That's the big thing, starting it with good news. First Thessalonians 5.18, no matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ.
One of the most common questions people ask in life is, what is God's will in this? What does God want me to do? Who does God want me to pick in the marriage? Who does he want me to, what does he want me to do for a career? What does he want me to do in school? What do I do? I just want to know God's will. And we're clueless about where to even start. Well, here's a great place to start. From that verse, this is God's will, that in everything, be thankful. Being grateful is like step one. We know that's what we need to do. So why would God teach you step two when you haven't even done step one? You want to know God's will on who to marry? Start being grateful. Stop complaining. Because we know that's his will. You do step one, and then you'll move on to step two, then three, then whatever. But if you're not doing what God's already told you explicitly what to do, then why should he tell you anything more? Because you're not going to listen. So if I want to live an overflowing life rather than an overwhelmed life, I first stay connected to Jesus. I make that a habit every day. I spend time with him. Because you can't get to know somebody without doing that. And number two... I stop griping and start being grateful. Now, here's a third thing in the Bible says, if you want to live an overwhelming, overflowing life, stop comparing and start being content. Now, each of these habits get a little bit harder, don't they? Stop comparing. Because every time you compare yourself to somebody else, you're being foolish. It's a waste of energy. You see, God made you to be you. He doesn't want you to be anybody else. So when you compare, you get envious. You get resentful. And you often start trying to copy somebody else. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. I made you to be you. If you don't be you, who's going to be you? God's never made a clone. He's Even identical twins are different in thousands of ways. And when you get to heaven, God isn't going to say, why weren't you like your sister, your mom, your brother, your dad? Why weren't you like some famous person out there? God wants you to be you. And comparing gets you into trouble. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, We do not make the mistake of comparing ourselves with others. When we compare ourselves, we are foolish. I'm acting like a fool every time I compare with anybody else. There's two problems with comparing yourselves. And we all do it. I think it's our number one indoor sport in America. We compare how we look, our careers, our GPA, our academic ability. We compare our kids, our spouses. We even compare how good our, our green our lawn is. It just goes to show you to, you know, we always are overwhelmed and not overflowing because we're constantly comparing ourselves. And there are two reasons why not to do this. Number one, you'll always find somebody in life who's doing a better job than you. And you're going to get full of discouragement. They got money. They got more. You have money, but they have more. They got more talent. They're better looking and you get full of discouragement. Number two, if you can't find anyone, then you get puffed up with pride. Pride and discouragement will also set you on the bench. They will take you out of the game. In fact, you don't even get into the game because when you're full of pride or ego or when you're full of discouragement, it just kind of paralyzes you. The Bible says stop comparing and start being contented and you'll live an overflowing life. And yet today, it's easier than any other time to compare yourself. You don't have to even go out. You just log on to your phone or your computer or your iPad, whatever, and you look at two words, social media. It's right in your face every day. If you go on it, you'll see, oh, look what they did. Go on Pinterest. Oh, look at the cake they made. Instagram, what are they wearing? Where are they going? What food are they eating? What life are they living? 
We compare what we wear, what we eat, and it makes us feel better when we post on Instagram. It's ridiculous. We do this all the time. It's so easy because social media gets stuck in staging your so-called pretend perfect life. And we know that nobody has a perfect life. We know it. But everyone's trying to put their best foot forward and we're living for the approval of other people. And then we get addicted to it. We say, oh man, I haven't posted it. I better post something people think it's cool. It's the fear of missing out. I better get something out there, show how cool I am. There are two downsides. I'm not saying social media, you should just leave it. But maybe you should give it a fast every once in a while to break the addiction. It's good for your body, right? Fasting will give you a rest. Social media fasting, you know, is great because it gets you out of your own little reality show. And it does two things. It gets rid of you feeding your narcissism that it's all about you. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And and that's really cute when it's a three-year-old. But when a 30-year-old is saying the same thing, look at me, look at me, look at me, we don't care. And that's what you're doing on Twitter or it's called X now and <laughs> Facebook. Come on, be a grown-up. It's okay as a baby, but not for everybody else. It creates narcissism and it creates envy. And by the way, you know what the worst is? Is self-righteousness. When you show off in a spiritual way, when you're like, notice how I'm raising my hands in prayer and you take a picture of it. And my sweater, look look at my new clothes as I'm praying. And see me highlighting my notes in my quiet time with God that I just shared with a million people. And if you're having a quiet time to impress other people on Instagram, just stop. That's the worst form of hypocrisy, showing you how spiritual I am. It's like putting on a little name dropping. If you are if you lead church music and you post a picture where all the lights are on you like a rock star, don't. That's the overwhelming life, not the overflowing life. And that's why some of us need a social media fast. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Who says you're better than others? What do you have that was not given to you? Everything we have is a gift. The air you're breathing right now, the heart that is beating is a gift of God's goodness. And if it was given to you, why do you brag if you didn't receive it as a gift? It's all a gift. Let me ask you a serious question. You want to be healthy? You want to live longer? Proverbs 14.30 says it's healthy to be content, but envy will eat you up. The more you go out there and you look at what other people are doing, the more envious you get, the more jealous you get, the more resentful you get. It says, I will eat you up. It will eat you up. Not I will. <laughs> I haven't had uh, lunch today yet. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says, it's better to be content with what you have than to always be struggling for more. It's like chasing the wind. The New Testament, Paul says, I've learned to be content. It has to be learned. You see, by nature... We're not a naturally contented person. By nature, you are not naturally, you are naturally discontented. And it creates a lot of overwhelmingness in your life. But if you listen and do what God says and you learn to be content, it's a good thing. You see all those negative things that stress you out, the worry, the jealousy, the resentment, the anger. Maybe it's fear or insecurity, feeling unloved because your husband doesn't do what that husband on Instagram does. Or your spouse doesn't do what that, that wife on Instagram does. Feeling unworthy, feeling ashamed, guilty, all those different things. Guess what? It's all learned. Anything you can learn, you can unlearn. The stuff you need to learn, like learning to be content, is what life's all about. 
Learn to be unselfish. Learn to be grateful. Learn to connect to God every day of your life. He said that he's going to help you learn contentment. Get your eyes off other people. You know, the richest people in the world, they would tell you themselves that there's no amount of money that will bring you happiness because you always want a little bit more. The wealthiest person in the world is not the one who has the most. It's the one who is the most contented. The most contented person I ever met was a janitor at the seminary I went to who worked in a basement that was musty and old. But I never saw him without a smile. He was the... He didn't have anything. He lived in an apartment. He didn't get paid much. He got paid a pittance. But he was the most contented person I've ever met. And to me, he was the wealthiest. Because he was the happiest. God says, I want you to stop griping and start being grateful. I want you to stop comparing and start being contented. And there's one more habit to living an overflowing life. And this one's the hardest of all. Stop being stingy and start being generous. If you want to move from the overwhelming lifestyle, I can tell you how important this is the key in your life. You must move from being stingy to generous. And I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about your time, your energy, your compliments. Stinginess is evidence of a shortage mentality. It's saying, I only have enough. And if I give it away, I don't have enough for me. That's a shortage mentality. It means you don't trust the goodness of God. And when you say, I can't afford to tithe or give, I can't afford to be generous with the guy on the street, I can't afford to give money to other people, I need it all for me, you don't understand how the universe operates. Because God wired a universal law into the universe. And it's like this. The more you give away, the more you're going to get. God wired the universe that way. The more you give, the more you'll get. And he did this because he wants you to become like him. Because God's a giver. He's the most generous being of all. Everything we have is the gift of God's generosity. And God wants you to be like him. Like father, like son, like daughter. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God even sent his son Jesus to give us hope. To forgive us our wrongs and sins in a way to restore our relationship with him. Salvation is a gift, and all we have to do is unwrap it. All we do is simply ask Jesus to forgive us, and we trust in him to do what he's promised. And he takes away our sins and gives us a relationship with him and a home in heaven that we can bank on. And we overcomplicate the gift of love that God gave us in Jesus, and we attach all these stipulations to it. And none of it's true, because it's all based on him. It's not based on us. All we do is have to unwrap the gift, accept it. And you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And this really upsets some people. It sets off a stingy nerve. It irritates them because they don't understand the universe is the more generous I am, the more God is going to bless me in every single area of your life. You're going to overflow. When I'm afraid to give away, it means I'm living a shortage mentality. I'm not living a surplus mentality. It's like, if I give away a piece of the pie, then then I'll lose that piece and I won't get any more. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says, Remember this, a stingy planter will only reap a small crop. If you have a garden and you plant seeds and say one of those, you know, those little package of like, say, tomato seeds and, you know, there's like 200 of them in that little, you know, 
$1.99 packet or however much it costs now. But I'm not only going to plant one seed. I better hold on to all those other seeds. I might lose them. Well, they're going to die if you don't plant them. But if I plant them in the ground, you know, it's amazing how many more will come up. If you plant one kernel of corn, you're not going to get back one kernel. You're going to get back stalks of corn with thousands of kernels on them. You always get back more than you put out. Second Corinthians continues, remember this, a stingy planter will only reap a small crop, but anyone who sows generously will also reap generously. So each of you should give serious consideration to what you want to give God. He says, don't ever give emotionally. You got to be rational. Be serious. Give serious consideration to what you want to give God, not reluctantly or under pressure. For God loves a cheerful giver. Never give under pressure. If anybody ever pressures you to give money or your time or whatever to something, don't. Because you don't get any credit for it. <laughs> if you felt pressured from anyone, don't give. God loves a cheerful giver. Because he doesn't really want your money. He wants, because he's the source of all supply, he wants what the money, your time, and everything represents. It represents your heart. Do you trust him? Do you have a shortage mentality or do you have a surplus mentality? Do I have, if I give everything I've got, my energy, my time, if I give away compliments, maybe I won't get complimented back. Maybe they won't know it was from me. But here's the promise, that God is able to bless you with all grace so that in all things, at all times, you will always have all you need and you'll also overflow so that you can give to every good work. That's a pretty cut and dry promise. It's amazing. If you learn to be generous with your time, with your money, that's the acid test of do you trust God? You have a shortage mentality or a surplus mentality. Every time you give, your heart becomes bigger. Every time you give, you become more loving. Every time you give, you become more like Jesus. Have you ever wondered why you don't have enough? Remember the story of Daniel? We did a long pod series on Daniel last year. If you want to check that out, I mean, it was like 25 weeks, I think. When God took the nation of Israel as they were taken captive in Babylon for 70 years, then later God says, you go back home, but here's the key. I want you to put me first in your time, in your life, in your money, in your day. So the first thing I want you to do is go back and rebuild the temple, which was destroyed. It's a symbol that worship comes first. God comes first in my life. And all these people went back to Israel and you know what they did? Well, they forgot it. They didn't put God first. They didn't build a temple. And there's a whole book in the Bible about this, misplaced priorities. If you put God first, I'll bless you. It's in the book of Haggai. Probably you don't even know where Haggai is. It's in all those little, little books at the end of the Old Testament. Here's what Haggai says in chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. You spend a lot of money, but you don't have much to show for it. You have food, but you don't have enough to fill you up. You have drink, but not enough to satisfy your thirst. You have clothes, but not enough to stay warm. You earn money, but it disappears as fast as if you had holes in your pockets. And the income that you brings in, bring home gets blown away. Consider why this is happening. It's because you are too busy building your own fine house that you haven't built my temple, the house of worship. That's why I'm withholding your blessing. Wow. Could this be the reason that I'm overwhelmed instead of overflowing? That I don't have enough? Have you ever read one of God's challenge verses in the Bible? Malachi 3.10, last book in the Old Testament. Bring your full tithe into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Test me in this. 
and see if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Wow. See if I don't bless that. Put me first. See if I don't bless that God says. Whatever you want God to bless, put it first. You trust Jesus, you say, well, I trust him to get me into heaven, but do you trust him for anything else? How much do you trust him? Luke 6, 38. If you give, you will receive back. Your gift will be returned to you in full measure, packed down and shaken. Shaken to make room for more, running over. Running over, that's that phrase from Psalm 23. My cup runs over. The overflowing life, whatever you measure, in giving large or small, it will be used to measure whatever is given back to you. There they are. Four simple habits to living an overflowing life. First habit, you stay connected to Jesus every day. Second habit, stop complaining and start being grateful. Third, stop comparing, start being content with what you have. And fourth, stop being stingy and start being generous. And those four daily habits will change your life from being overwhelmed to overflowing. So no matter how rough it is in your life right now, no matter how stressful your life is, I can guarantee you that if you start these four habits, things will change. Well, I hope that encouraged you this week. God bless, and I'll see you in the next video.